The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. Today, I'm going to be looking at the retail business and how it's going to cope post-COVID-19. I should put this in context and say I'm recording on 27th of April 2020 for release on the 8th of May. And I don't have to tell you, a lot can change in that time. At this point, I normally do a quick bio of myself, and I hint that if you have a conference coming up, I can be available as MC or speaker. But nobody's planning conferences at the moment. So I'll just say that if you need to face press interviews or do presentations online, you can find me at remotemediatraining.com. I've been a technology journalist for over 30 years, and I know how the traps can happen. And I've been training remotely for over 10 years. That's enough of the blatant self-publicity. Let's get to the interesting bit that you want to hear. My guest today is a representative of the UK government's great campaign for creativity. She is an independent brand strategist who pioneers award-winning campaigns and marketing strategies for global brands from Unilever to Microsoft to Whirlpool and many others. An expert on retail trends, strategy and consumer behavior, she's regularly featured in global media. Meredith O'Shaughnessy, welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. You're more than welcome. Now, as you probably guessed, I did my usual thing and cribbed all of that uh, intro from your publicity. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Where I sit is very much in a, new, a niche, developing, pioneering part of retail strategy. My background is in experiences and events um, and hospitality. So really, I got to learn about what people really want and what they're really looking for and how they emotionally connect with things. And over the last few years, Retail, as we know, has gone through this transition where there's can buy many more things online and retail offerings in terms of, kind of bricks and mortar stores has changed dramatically. And I pivoted into advising clients about how they can maximize that and take advantage of it. Now, this podcast has covered a fair bit on uh, retail and uh, indeed customer experience. And of course, the rules have changed drastically over the last few weeks. Um, I mean, is it even worth estimating how many retailers are going to remain once this is over, whatever shape over actually means in this case? I think it's really difficult when you talk about retail and, you know, the future of it and what over actually means. Retail is so many different things. So, you know, retail on one end is a supermarket such as Asda, which of course is still going to exist. But then on the other end, we're talking about Miss Selfridge or Topshop and actually thinking about what offering they still have. There's definitely going to be some casualties. Some of those will be large mainstream stores, as we've seen over the last few years, the Woolworths that have gone under, um, Laura Ashley that's just been sold. And some of the smaller ones that just don't have the cash will also kind of, unfortunately, no longer be over, open after this. You've mentioned some fairly substantial businesses there, of course. Woolworths had nothing to do with COVID-19. That was ages ago. Is there a bias towards either larger or smaller retailers? Do you think anybody's better equipped to uh, survive this and thrive afterwards? I think the thing about large retailers is they have deeper pockets and also they have the ability to kind of create larger experiences. So when we're thinking about the experience economy and how retailers can capture the benefits of using experiences to draw people towards their brands, when you look at these much larger companies like the Unilevers, they just have much larger resource. So once they decide to go on that strategy and pivot towards something like that, then they're able to do it incredibly effectively. 
the great thing about smaller retailers is of course they're more nimble and they mm. tend to take more chances they are able to be a bit more um, experimental with their brands and they're also open to new ideas now that's interesting the other thing that's happening is consumers are behaving differently in uh, the the lockdown market I've noticed uh, in China where they've started to lift restrictions, some people are starting to buy luxury items. I saw from your own piece on LinkedIn, which I'd recommend people read, by the way, that people are calling it revenge spending. I suppose they're taking revenge on coronavirus. And the same piece made it clear that uh, you're not 100% uh, convinced by this revenge spending thing. I wonder if you could elaborate on your view a little bit and explain what revenge spending is and why it may or may not exist. Revenge spending is a horrible term, isn't it? It's this idea of like, who are we angry at and why are we, you know, I guess it's the revenge against being locked indoors. Well, if we think in the simplest terms that our reaction to not being able to see our loved ones is we need to go and spend a ton of money on stuff, well, that's just not particularly nice is it you kind of you'd think that actually people are craving emotional connections so i think when we look at revenge spending again with this very top-end luxury market when you're looking at someone like hermes they're very uniquely positioned in the market um their items aren't just you know t-shirts and jeans and trainers they are bags which have inherent value that will um they're seen a bit like purchasing fine wine or a supercar or something like that so really they sit in their own kind of area of the market so can, can i just pick you up on one point there you said it's not necessarily very nice this revenge spending thing i, I do take that point but on the other hand i've never known a uh, retailer who's particularly worried about whether i'm being nice when i'm spending money i had a birthday a few weeks ago and my wife bought me a new telly or bought us a new telly to a smart TV to cheer us up while all this is going going on. The retailer did not phone up and say, no, no, you don't need that. You know, come on, just just go and stroke a dog or something. They took our money, they sent the television. Is the retailer all that all that worried about whether this is nice or not? I think retailers don't think about the longer term relationships with their consumers are the ones that are going to fall by the wayside. So ultimately ones that just want to sell stuff and more of it are actually going to be in trouble. And when you think about the new legislation that's coming out about electrical products where they're being penalised if they're not allow inherently not allowing the lifespan of the electrical product to kind of fulfill its full lifespan etc then you know there is going to be legislation coming in place where it's not going to be just about making more and more things and i think that's where the experience economy can really help and actually brands cap really take on board the whole concept behind the experience economy it isn't just about running events it's actually about giving something completely different to the consumer Okay, can you give me a few examples? I mean, I'd love to be able to, I know there are going to be no simple answers, but I'd love to be able to offer listeners something positive, something practical. Say you're a standard retailer, maybe a smaller retailer. What steps can you take to make sure that there is some element of experience in your, uh, in your offering? So say you sell clothes and you are somebody that makes beautiful dresses, for instance. How are you going to attract people to come into your store? How are you going to get attention? Well, you could have an interactive element when you're designing your clothes. So people come in and the garments could be half finished, for instance, and there could be an element of choosing um, you know, different fabrics. There could be a chance for consumers to finish off items, for them to personalize them in store, for them to learn a skill. So anything which is additional to just purchasing the product. Joe Malone came out and said that, 
the product should actually be the souvenir from the experience. So what you're selling should actually be the takeaway souvenir rather than the actual reason that you go into the store. But everything where you don't, you can't have an interactive element or everything where an experience can't be part of it, really you can just buy that online. That's an interesting uh, example, Germ Alone, for people who perhaps don't know, that's a Perfumia, um, I believe. Um, you can certainly buy that online or on Duty Free if you're on an aeroplane, aeroplanes, I remember those. Uh, but you, 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 it is available just as the product. Are you, are you suggesting this should be running in conjunction with the people who just want the commodity, or is this something that's going to replace commodity purchasing overall? Well, there'll always be things we actually need. You know, there'll always be the, the items in our house that we actually have to have. And then there'll be the things which are nice to have, those extras. And if you can attach an experience to that, then, that, then what you're going to do is you're going to be able to create an emotional connection with your customer. And that will bring your customer back to you time and time again. So I think the real thing about having experience-based strategy when you're looking at retail, really we're talking about bricks and mortar stores, there's going to be less of them. There's going to be, you know, we are going to see less brands on the high street we're going to see less stores on the high street when you look at someone like Diane von Furstenberg they're already talking about shutting down lots of their stores and what they're going to leave will be the ones that have an experience now experience-based stores are gateways to brands they aren't the only way that you purchase it's just really your shop front it's your way of saying direct to your consumer this is what we're about this is who we are Okay, we've mentioned, uh, or rather you've mentioned, I should say, uh, Germ Alone as a, an example of a brand that's done quite well so far because of the experience of going into the store. Can you think of any other brands that are doing well at the moment? My, my impression is a number of big players are uh, actually suffering because they've got themselves the reputation of uh, trying to take advantage of all this, whereas some are doing quite well by perhaps being a little more selfless. I'm just wondering which brands are doing best in terms of the on the experience side at the moment. So when you say taking advantage, do you mean taking advantage of the COVID situation? Or yeah, the COVID situation is obviously very much on everybody's mind at the moment. I, I don't mind having a podcast that's going to be dated in a year. Uh, they, they've got, you've had certain brands out there who said, no, we will uh, stay, stay open during this um, dreadful experience because our sports gear is an essential purchase, which of course it wasn't. And they, you know, other people saying, no, we, we won't be able to pay our staff, so they, they'll just have to go and get other jobs and we'll see if we can give them a job when it's all over or something. But there's been a certain communications breakdown issue in there I think yeah I mean I think it's it's really difficult to have a defined strategy I mean if we're realistic even the government doesn't have a defined strategy about what we should and shouldn't be doing so I think the retailers have really struggled to work out what is appropriate and what isn't and thinking about your customer needs and thinking about who it is you're selling to is incredibly important and mm. actually that's just true in all cases Cases. and it's in true for creating an experience strategy and it's true for kind of being relevant in 10 years time i think that a lot of smaller retailers are suffering a lot because they're not open but also they may not have the resources not just that they don't want to open their stores because people won't come in but also you know getting people to come into work is also incredibly challenging at the moment a lot of people are quite scared a lot of people don't want to be working in a store and things will definitely have to change in terms of layouts in terms of the way that stores are even designed so I think the B&Qs of the world will be fine because actually they're providing essentially a service. People want to be able to go and buy their gardening things so they can take them home and use them. I think if you're potentially a sportswear brand, do you need to be open? No, because people could potentially be buying your items online. 
Yeah, I, I would challenge you a little bit on the B&Q side, uh, just using that purely as an example, because, of course, if your business model is predicated on having X amount of people in the store spending an average of X amount per head and suddenly because of distancing, you've got to have uh, reduced that amount by 50%, you may find you've not got a sustainable business. I'm no expert on that side of things. I just don't take it for granted that everyone, even the larger companies, are going to be able to pivot necessarily. I'd like to pursue you on a point you made earlier. The, you said the experience economy was uh, is already growing. I think that's perfectly correct. Uh, you know, we've all seen things like the red letter days in the early days, which was was massive, then became massive again under new owners or, or whatever. And arguably, immediately Amazon started commoditizing things. You had to focus on an experience in order to distinguish yourself. I'm wondering whether you think the, the coronavirus thing has actually accelerated an existing trend or whether it's actually changing things per se. It's definitely accelerated an existing trend. I think that all that's happened is everything's sped up. There's, as you said, none of this is new. So it's kind of surprising to be talking about it now when it all seems to make so much sense. People are like, surely that's the strategy people should have been undertaking. But as we know, especially with these larger re- retailers, they're like juggernauts and they're very hard to move. So you can fit mm. the B&Q model. You know, it's intrinsically flawed to have a model where you need a certain number of people through the store at any given time to maintain your spend so that you can keep the retail store open and actually they should be looking much more at you know holding gardening classes and teaching people carpentry and having a whole arm of their business around education and entertainment and if they had that then actually they'd be able to increase their spend per head they wouldn't need so many people in their store and then they might come out of this a little bit stronger. Well, for all we know, they're planning just that. And I don't want a single um, B&Q out just in case they've got very expensive lawyers or something like that. But uh, (laughs) as a suggestion of the thought sort of thing that people could be doing, I think that's very positive stuff. I'm just uh, wondering what um, brands need to focus on in order to survive. You know, maybe if you had just a few tips, the quick bullet pointy things for companies looking to get out of this situation in decent shape or indeed in better shape than they are now, it's a hell of a general question, I appreciate, but what would you suggest people start thinking about now in order to increase their, uh, move their offering towards an experience? I think one of the big challenges that all companies have is looking at the skill sets of the people they have internally. So when you're looking to develop an experience-based strategy, you do need to have people within your organization that are creative and able to pioneer a new direction and actually think of adjacent industries. So, you know, the theater, you know, when you look at the experience economy, when you think about actually what influences it, it's, it's industries outside of retail. So you need to have a much broader approach to your strategy. And sometimes brands don't have that internal capability. So I think looking to bring people on board that might have a new point of view, um, whether that's in the short term or the longer term, is incredibly valuable at times like this. I think partnering with other brands, so complementary brands is a really interesting way to go. For instance, if you're a paint brand, you could partner with you know, a bedding company and think about how you can offer an entire lifestyle experience to people. There's a lot of brand collaboration that is incredibly valuable at a time like this. And I think my final point would be to think innovatively, to really actually kind of tear up the rule book and no longer think about a direct ROI on a bricks and mortar store. You are going to have to scale back. So actually, if you're thinking about your marketing, thinking about all your revenue, you know, your revenue streams and what they all look like combined. So you're thinking not just about digital and then bricks and mortar, that all has to come together. 
I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, so uh, that was your final point, as you say. So finally, perhaps you could tell us something about where listeners can find out more and uh, maybe get involved with you and your business. Absolutely. So you can go to our website, which is www.meredithcollective.co. Um, we're launching a news- newsletter, which is updating people on a monthly basis about the experience economy. And we'll be giving insights and tips on how you can kind of pivot your strategy as well. And you can always find me on LinkedIn. Meredith O'Shaughnessy, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Uh, Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk or my media training site at remotemediatraining.com. I'll be back, as always, in two weeks' time.